is Daring Dialogues, and I'm your host tonight, Shantae Charles. Again, it is Monday Motivation, and we are back reading from Jackie Robinson's autobiography, I Never Had It Made. Jackie Robinson has been encouraging us. He's been helping us to get our entire mental life together, uh, along with some other people we've been reading. But tonight we are again back reading I Never Had It Made by Jackie Robinson, an autobiography. There is a lot going on in the world today. And I hope again that you are well, that you are safe. That you are taking it one day at a time, that you're getting rest for those who need rest, and that you're being rejuvenated for those who need rejuvenation. So we are on chapter six entitled, My Own Man. I'm going to start my reading in just a moment. All along, the Brooklyn Dodger president had been very sensitive to the inner pressures that had been bugging me. He knew that I believed in fierce competition and swift retaliation for mistreatment. Several years after he told me I was on my own, he explained his decision in these words. I realized the point would come when my almost filial relationship with Jackie would break with ill feeling if I did not issue an emancipation proclamation from me. I could see how the tensions had built up in two years that this young man had come through with courage far beyond what I asked. Yet I knew that burning inside him was the same pride and determination that burned inside those Negro slaves a century earlier. I knew also that while the wisest policy for Robinson during those first two years was to turn the other cheek and not fight back, there were many in baseball who would not understand his lack of action. They could be made to respect only the fighting back, the things that are the signs of courage to men who know courage only in the physical sense. So I told Robinson that he was on his own. Then I sat back happily knowing that with the restraints removed, Robinson was going to show the National League a thing or two. Very soon after my talk with Mr. Ricky, I learned that as long as I appeared to ignore insult and injury, I was a martyred hero to a lot of people who seemed to have sympathy for the underdog. But the minute I began to answer, to argue, to protest, the minute I began to sound off, I became a swellhead, a wise guy with an uppity, an uppity Negro. When a white player did it, he had spirit. When a black player did it, he was ungrateful, an upstart, a sorehead. It was hard to believe the prejudice I saw emerging among people who had seemed friendly toward me before I began to speak my mind. I became in their minds and in their columns a pop-off, a troublemaker, a rabble-rouser. It was apparent that I was a fine guy until, quote, success went to his head, until I began to change. It is true that I had stored up a lot of hostility. I had been going home nights to Rachel and young Jackie, tense and irritable, keyed up because I hadn't been able to speak out when I wanted to. In 1949, I wouldn't have to do this. I could fight back when I wanted. That sounds as though I wanted to get even, and I'm pretty sure that is partly true. 
I wouldn't have been human otherwise. But more than revenge, I wanted to be Jackie Robinson, and for the first time, I would be justified because by 1949, the principle had been established. The major victory won. There were enough blacks on other teams to ensure that American baseball could never again turn its back on minority competitors. When I reported for spring training, I was right on target weight-wise, in excellent condition, and my morale was high. On the first day, a sports writer who interviewed me quoted me as saying, they'd better be rough on me this year because I'm sure going to be rough on them. Baseball commissioner Happy Chandler had me on the carpet for that statement. I couldn't help wondering if he would have called up Ty Cobb, Frankie Frisch, or Pepper Martin, all white and all given to sounding off for the same thing. I told the commissioner exactly how I felt and that while I had no intention of creating problems, I was no longer going to turn my cheek to insults. Chandler completely understood my position and that was the end of our interview. During spring training, it looked as though there would be definite racial trouble ahead. We were scheduled to play in Atlanta in April. The Atlanta newspapers announced that the Grand Dragon of the Klan had warned the Dodgers that Roy Campanella and I would not be allowed to play because interracial games were against the laws of the state. Dr. Samuel Green was the top Klansman and Earl Mann ran the Atlanta Crackers team. Green and his bedsheet brigade were assailed in the local press for indicating that if black players came to Atlanta with the Dodgers, there would be bloody violence. Mr. Ricky predicted that there would be an assault of enthusiasm instead of violence, and that we would be treated by hordes of autograph seekers rather than the Klansmen. It was another Ricky prediction that was right on target. The autograph seeking crowds after that first game were tremendous. Almost 50,000 turned out for each of the three games, and for the Sunday game, there were about 14,000 black fans. I don't know whether that disheartened the Klan or not, but there was absolutely no trouble. In a number of other southern cities that season, we didn't even encounter threats. The fans were accepting integrated baseball, but there were other problems to contend with. In one game at Vero Beach, I had gotten into a hassle with a young Brooklyn farmhand, which almost came to blows. Later during the season, I was thrown out of a game for the second time. The penalty was for grabbing at my throat, a sign that signified the umpire, the umpire was choking up. Choking up meant that the umpire was favoring home teams on decisions. In acting like this, I wasn't doing anything that players hadn't been doing for years. All typical players with spirit act that way. They throw their hands in the air in disgust, kick bitterly at the ground or at the glove. They shake their heads in disbelief at decisions. They react. Sometimes they get fines. Most of the time, unless they do something terribly violent, there just isn't any aftermath at all. I received a great deal of personal publicity in 1949. Sometimes in the dressing room, in the midst of a group of Dodgers, all of us would sound off about something we didn't approve of. A writer outside the door who had heard what we were saying would do a piece telling the world that what Robinson was popping off about. That was one of the reasons for the excess publicity. Another was that I pretty much said what was on my mind whenever the press interviewed me. Sports writers seemed to come directly to me whenever there was a hint of a story. They knew I would say what I thought. 
One of them once told me I represented the difference between steak and hamburger on the dinner plates of some writers. The sports writers knew I wouldn't back down if I got into trouble, that I wouldn't whine, that I was misquoted. It felt good to be able to breathe freely, to speak out when I wanted to. There was also another good element. Many times when I made strong or controversial statements, I was not fighting for a personal thing. I was standing up for my team. I was saying things some of my teammates felt, but were reluctant to say. The Dodgers appreciated this, and it was a refutation of the charge that I was making verbal grandstand plays to promote myself. In July 1949, I was asked to testify before the House Un-American Activities Committee, headed by Georgia Congressman John S. Wood. He sent me a telegram asking me to come to Washington to testify before his committee to give the lie to statements by Paul Robeson. I learned that the committee had also invited other Blacks, some prominent lawyers, sociologists, ministers, and educators. I was impressed by the fact that a committee had asked for my views, but I realized that they must have felt my popularity with Black and white loving masses would help them refute the Robeson statement. I was in a dilemma because the statement was disturbing to me in some ways, although I believe I knew why it had been made. Paul Robeson, the noted singer and active fighter against racism, had been quoted in the world press as saying that American Negroes would not fight for America in case of a war against Russia. It is not the first time Robeson had troubled the establishment. He was a black man who in white eyes had it made. But he was an embattled and bitter man. He looked back on a childhood in a city where white people pushed blacks off the sidewalk. He grew up not in the South, but in Princeton, New Jersey. He had gone to Rutgers University, become Phi Beta Kappa, and captain of a record-making football team. Robeson remembered sitting on the bench during certain football games, even though he was the star, because a Southern college was playing his team and would not countenance the presence of a black man on the field. Paul was a brilliant law student. When he graduated from law school and looked for jobs with white firms, he was found he was discriminated against. Even after he became an eminent artist, he learned with resentment and sorrow that after the applause died, he was once again in N-I-G-G-E-R. When he was on tour, hotels found polite excuses, sometimes not polite, for not taking him in. In others that did give him accommodations, he was asked to take his meals inside his room. In 1931, Robeson left his country, announcing that he would live in England. He took his son Paul to Russia to be educated. In Russia, he found a country where I walked the earth for the first time with complete dignity. He had not yet officially espoused communism, but his statement from Paris declaring blacks would not fight Russia for America had aroused Congress and the press. I was not sure about what to do. Rachel and I had long talks about it. She felt I should follow my instincts. I didn't want to fall prey to the white man's game and allow myself to be pitted against another black man. I knew that Robeson was striking out against racial inequality in the way which seemed best to him. However, in those days, I had much more faith in the ultimate justice of the American white man than I have today. I would reject such an invitation if offered now. The newspaper account seemed to picture the great singer as speaking for the whole race of black people. 
With all the respect I had for him, I didn't believe anyone had a right to do that. I thought Robeson, although deeply dedicated to his people, was also strongly influenced by his attraction to Soviet Russia and the communist cause. I wasn't about to knock him for being a communist or a sympathizer. That was his right. But I was afraid that his statement might discredit black people in the eyes of whites. If his statement meant that all black people would refuse to defend America, then it seemed to me that he had been guilty of too sweeping of an assumption. I was black and he wasn't speaking for me. I had served in the armed forces and had been badly mistreated. When I couldn't defend my country for the injustice I suffered, I was still proud to have been in uniform. I felt that there were two wars raging at once, one against foreign enemies and one against domestic foes, and the black man was forced to fight both. I felt we must not back down on either front. This land belongs to us as much as it belongs to any immigrant or any descendant of the American colonists, and slavery in this country, in whatever sophisticated form, must end. There are whites who would love to see us refuse to defend our country because then they could, we could relinquish our right to be Americans. It isn't a perfect America and it isn't run right, but it still belongs to us. As my friend, the Reverend Jesse Jackson said, it ain't our government, but it is our country. After word got out that I had been asked to testify, Ray and I received an overwhelming amount of letters, wires, and telephone calls. Some sought to dissuade me from going to Washington. Others gave advice on what I should say. Still, others threatened me with loss of popularity in the black community and charged I would be a traitor to my people if I testified. Obviously, some of the mail had been organized by the Communist Party, but there was a considerable amount that Rachel and I judged was sincerely free of political motivation. After we considered all the factors, I still decided to testify. The speech I gave was well received. However, many of the newspaper articles praising it also gave the impression that I had put Robeson down hard. That wasn't true. The major points I made were these. I said that the question of communist activity in the United States was not a matter of partisan politics. I mentioned that some of the policies itself had become political issues. I told the committee that I didn't pretend to be an expert on communism or any other political ism, but I was an expert on being a colored man, having had 30 years of experience at it, and I knew how difficult it was to be in the minority. I felt that we had made some progress in baseball and that we could make progress in other American fields provided we got rid of some of the misunderstandings the public still suffered from. There had been a lot of misunderstanding on the subject of communism among blacks in this country that was bound to hurt my people's cause unless it was cleared up. Every Negro worth his salt hated racial discrimination, and if it happened that it was a communist who denounced discrimination, that did not change the truth of his charges. It might be true that they kicked up a fuss over racial discrimination because it suited their purposes. However, there was no reason to pretend that the whole issue was a creation of communist imagination. This talk about communists stirring up Negroes to protest only made present misunderstandings worse. Now here we are in 2021 and people are still using that as an excuse, also known as the Russian box. 
I then said I had been asked to express my views on Paul Robeson's statement to the effect that American Negroes would refuse to fight in any war against Russia because we love Russia so much. I commented that if Mr. Robeson actually made that statement, it sounded silly to me, but that he had a right to his personal views. People shouldn't get scared and think that one Negro among 15 million of us at the time, speaking to a communist group in Paris, could speak for the rest. I wound up my statement by saying, I can't speak for any 15 million people any more than any other person can, but I know that I've got too much invested for my wife and child and myself in the future of this country. I and other Americans have too much invested in our country's welfare for any of us to throw it away because of a siren song sung in bass. I am a religious man, therefore I cherish America where I am free to worship as I please, a privilege which some countries do not give. And I suspect that 999 out of almost a thousand colored Americans you meet will tell you the same thing. But that does not mean we're going to stop fighting race discrimination in this country until we've got it licked. It means that we're going to fight it all the harder because our stake in the future is so big. We can win our fight without the communists and we don't want their help. That statement was made over 20 years ago and I've never regretted it. But I have grown wiser and closer to painful truths about America's destructiveness. And I do have an increased respect for Paul Robeson who over the span of that 20 years sacrificed himself, his career, and the wealth and comfort he once enjoyed because I believe he was sincerely trying to help his people. During the 1949 season, there was a tremendous improvement in the closeness of the Dodger team. Racial tensions had almost completely dissipated and the team cared most about acquiring talented players. The club had been strengthened by the addition of several players, among them Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb. The year 1949 wound up being a truly great one. Once again, we became National League pennant winners. We lost the series to the Yankees, but it was a hard-fought series. The year 1949 was also a banner year for me personally because the sports writers named me Most Valuable Player. I signed a 1950 contract for $35,000, which in those days was a very good paycheck. I was happy as the season ended, but happily unaware of the trouble that lay ahead. Wowza, wowza, wowza. Like Jackie Robinson, some of us have those moments in our life where we are either charged to go speak on behalf of something or we are charged to go speak in defense of something. And some of us have now had an opportunity to probably look back just as he did and figured out, man, what could I have done differently? What could I have said differently? Um, would I have changed the outcome of something that I said or something that I did? Um, but to be able to look back on your words with certainty and say, hey, I don't regret what I said. I wouldn't change a thing, but I do have a change in perception about the person. I think it takes um, some courage to do, to do that. Um, so in your life, is there anything or anyone where you are looking back today, you can say definitely, man, I could have said that differently. I could have done that differently. I could have done it better. 
I could have given a different answer. As Jackie Robinson said, I don't want to be the pawn of somebody else that wants me to come speak because they think I'm going to agree with them. Have you been in that situation as of late? Hmm. Come on and have a conversation with me if you have found yourself in any of those conditions. If you find yourself thinking about something that you could have said or done differently. If someone tried to pit you against someone else in the hopes that you would be on their side rather than on the side of right and on the side of truth. (laughs) I could have given an okay in silence. All right. So if you'd like to come on and share today, if you'd like to uh, talk about what's on your heart, come on in, come on in. We got a little time. Come on in. We got about 20, 24 minutes here. So if you want to share tonight, feel free to click the camera. While we're waiting, I want to also talk really quickly about a post I put up today. Some people thought it was a little on the funny side, but I, I, I meant what I said and I said what I meant. Let me read it to you. Lately, there's been a lot of conversation. We've also been having some conversation here about missing persons. And there was recently a celebrity who was um, thought to be missing. But the reality is after many days of people being nosy and getting in their business, (laughs) we've come to find out that that person was not actually missing and they wanted to be lost. And so I put up a post today that said, black people, something we like to say, we got to do better about checking up on our kin, checking up on our people, right? But also black people say things like, stay out of folks' business. Mind the business that pays you. That's one of my favorites. Um, Keep your nose on your face. In other words, stop being nosy, right? So sometimes we can seem a little on the bipolar side when it comes to this issue. On the one hand, yes, we need to care about people. Yes, we need to be concerned when they're missing. On the other hand, sometimes those people are like, stay out of my business. I don't want to report in. I don't want to call in. I don't want people to know where I am. So we have to strike a balance between the two, right? We don't want to we don't want to feel like we're the nosy person, but at the same time, we don't want to be the person that is living with regret should something actually have happened to you right so it's one of those catch-22 kind of things so depending on who it is you kind of got to play it by ear and make sure that you really know that person um chances are if you haven't communicated with somebody in the last six months to a year they probably don't necessarily want you to know where they are even though you might be concerned about where they are they just haven't had you in their particular orbit of concern So you got to be okay with that. You got to be willing to live with that. On the other hand, if it's somebody that you converse with all the time and you haven't heard from them in a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, yes, it's time to get concerned. Why? Because you've had an open line of communication with that person. So being honest and being truthful about our relationship with a person will kind of help us to gauge whether or not we should be concerned or we should jump in and get involved. All right, I am going to bring on some We Dare Squads. And we're going to start with uh, Prophet Jonathan, because I saw your comment there. 
Hello, hello. Good evening. Hi. Prophet Hi. Jonathan, how are you? I am well, and you all? Good. Lady Barbara, how are you? I'm doing well. Awesome. And this, this was just, this, this, I never had it made. And when you just, because you just only saw Jackie Robinson, and I'll just say that, playing ball or memories of him. But then you think about everything, every channel that he went through. Mm-hmm. And the part that, that stood out to me because I had experience where you where where you have these ones want to pitch you against another black person right. and to find out what are you going to say and how he handled this is I like how he handled it because he said he has his right to his opinion and how he felt he had been treated mm-hmm. so and then like he said when he began to voice his when Mr. Ricky told him you're on your own mm-hmm. yeah. so you can you know so then he was a pop off he was <laughs> ungrateful you know success has gone to his head and just everything that that we, okay, we allowed you to play. We we booed to call you all kind of names. Mm-hmm. So now you know you gotten uppity, and they love that word uppity mm-hmm. when you have you successful at, and, and and want you to be grateful because we allowed you to. No, he had the talent too, and y'all y'all used that in a way. You know, you paid money to see him play, but yet you had a problem with the color of his skin. But yet, in in one side of your warped mind, you enjoyed his talent. On the other side, you had a problem because he was a black man. I mean, but aren't we seeing the same thing in today's day? Isn't it the same like shut up and play or shut up and dribble? dribble. You know, Uh so this, the whole notion is we want to see you. We don't want to hear you. you. We want you. We want you to be the downity Negro, not the uppity Negro. Uppity. Yeah. <laughs> no, but we want you to, to perform, but we don't want to hear you. your opinions are not valued, and that's you know, it's really sad. It's amazing. It's amazing how old this book is, how old his account is, and yet you're still seeing some of the same pervasive attitudes within America. Uh Down to the fact of using the whole Russian communist issue against black people. Because what was it? Kamala Harris was called a communist during the campaign too. Yeah. Prophet Jonathan, what are what are your thoughts? Hey, Prophet. How y'all doing? Good. Good to see everybody. Uh, my comment was, I was sharing with a couple of people. The scripture says Jesus said, uh, "He that let it will let." When I first read it, I didn't understand what that means. Oh. Um, I was in a conversation with a particular person, and they were talking about their views on the vaccine and such and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, they went on and on and on. Uh, 
uh, didn't didn't want to hear what I had to say, but wanted me to listen to everything what they had to say. <laughs> and that scripture came to mind when I was thinking on that conversation, and I said, Jonathan, you should have just said okay. And let them at that. Let them think they were completely right, that they had all the wisdom and all the knowledge. And he that let it will let. They, they, they're not open to hear someone's perspective. They're not open to hear someone's comment. Let them think that they're right and let it be that. Yeah. They say, yay be yay and your nay be nay. And that's who's coming. And can I just tag behind you? There was a. um a service done here they installed this pastor so they did all the garb and all the performance one thing was too oh the the, the vaccination was like the mark or something like that but what I'm, the whole point was they had this great performance installed him and like three four weeks later they eulogized him hmm Wow. You know, so it's like, it's a sad, you know, for what people don't do the research and won't wear masks and won't protect themselves. And you feed something to people that you have don't have information about yourself. So you're in a whole group of people and you put it, you know, out in social media so everybody can see you. And then here come your wife posted that you have departed this life. Yeah. Well, we know that we know that that's a, a hot topic. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we've we've talked about it here before in terms of um, all. I put it this way: all of science does not fit all. Amen. That's true. Absolutely. It's. I know people want it to be that way. I know that there's a push for. Uh-huh. They move. They actually have moved the the mark again from seventy percent of the nation being vaccinated to ninety percent of the nation being vaccinated. That was stated today by President Biden. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, I'm gonna say what I've been saying, and that is know your body, know yes. your physiology. Yes. Consult with your doctor about what you should be doing with your body, your conditions, your pre-existing conditions, and your physiology. Exactly. To me, that's the end of the discussion. And if if you have gone through that process and you have been advised not to take the vaccine because some people have been advised by their doctors not to, it doesn't matter what someone else is trying to pressure you to do. Exactly. Now, there are things, you know, public health and public safety wise that we can all do that doesn't require an injection of something within you. Public safety wise, we can all wear a mask. Public safety wise, we can all wash our hands and practice proper hygiene. Public safety wise, we can all social distance and stay out of crowds. Public safety wise, we can all have a, have a healthy, proper diet Yes. and take our vitamins and minerals and exercise. Those are things across the board that everybody could be doing, but that the people who are so-called the public health officials are not putting as priority. No, 
So if you're not putting those as priority, I'm gonna question why you have moved that from priority to put everything else as priority. Exactly. Point blank period. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that is what I have to say about that because I don't believe in arguing with people about what's going on with no. their physiology. Period. Uh-uh. No. If if God has told you something, if it's in your conscience to not do something, then God is greater than our conscience. Amen. And if he has moved on your conscience not to do something, then you go with your conscience that's submitted to what God told you to do. I just want to say one thing on that. I don't agree with this forcible type of thing that people are trying to make you like. Uh-huh. Seems like in America, they always want you to be on this side or that side. You got to be a yeah. Democrat or Republican. You got to be for cats or you got to mm-hmm. be for dogs. <laughs> you got to be yeah. for women or against women. Yeah. You got to be pro-women, pro-men. Uh-huh. And it's just like, what if you're not neither? But yeah. at the end of the day, you have to give people a choice. They're mm-hmm. trying to play this divide and conquer thing. Uh-huh. If you want to take the vaccine, go for it. If you don't want to take the vaccine, don't go for it. But don't try to make people feel like they're evil or yeah. this. Oh my God, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you have a difference of an opinion that what the news tell you or what I tell you and it's just like people have a free will and just like any other subject or topic you have a free will anytime you're anytime you are moving away from a free will for a society you are in trouble and I don't care what the topic is Uh right now the topic is vaccines and as I as I keep telling people while you're rooting and demonizing one side or the other, just understand that your number hasn't been called yet. Yeah. Because there will come a time when you fit the description of what is being demonized. And that's what people are not paying attention to. True. Today, it might be the people who don't want to take the vaccine. Tomorrow, it might be the people who like to eat strawberry ice cream. And everybody who likes to eat strawberry ice cream is now demonic and should be exterminated. So keep playing these games if you want to. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You need to pay attention. Pay attention. Anytime you have demonizing of a particular group of people in society, you are headed in a really dangerous direction. I don't care what the subject matter is. The, the point is you are taking a specific group of people in society and you are demonizing them. Yes. Jesus didn't demonize humans. No, he he separated humans from demons. Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to say that again for the spiritual people in the back. Jesus did not demonize humans. He separated humans from demons. So if you can't do that, yeah, be quiet. No, I'm just kidding. No, but still, I'm just saying, we, we have to stop demonizing human beings. We have to stop making everything a demon and understand what is demonic and separate that from humanity. Any final thoughts here? Because I'm coming to a close. No, it's a good topic. It's a good, it fits in with 
just what he said too, having opinion. What he was talking about was right. Mm-hmm. Like Paul Robeson had a right to his opinion. And the same thing you're saying here, it fits in with vaccine. You have a choice, you know? For now. For now. But they But all of these but all of these rules for. all of these rules are bo- boiling down to it doesn't even matter what your doctor told you. We're going to enforce you doing this or you're not or you're going to be locked out of economic viability. Wow. If you're locking people out of the ability to provide for their family. Yeah. That's beyond democratic rule. Yeah. I need people to understand that. When you I start locking people, when you start locking people out of the ability to just simply earn a living. It's true. When there are other viable options for public safety, you uh-huh. are moving away from democratic processes. You really are. So yeah. this has been another episode of Daring Dialogues, and I've been your host tonight, Shantae Charles. My motivation for you tonight is to make sure that you lift your voice, that you don't allow what people have to say about you lifting your voice to cause you to be silent. Jackie Robinson did not back down when people got to name calling, when people got to labeling him, when people got to saying, oh, you you let success go to your head now that you're, you're able to speak out and have an opinion. Oh, you've changed on us. No, he said, no, I didn't change. I just finally got released to speak my mind. And now that I have the ability to speak my mind, now that I've opened the door for more people to enter into this field, I'm ready to speak my mind. And you may not like it. You may not agree with it. You may stop coming to the games. You may stop being a fan, but that's not going to stop me from speaking from speaking out. So I encourage you tonight That if you're facing a situation where it feels like um, you're being pressured to silence yourself, you're being pressured to to put yourself on mute because somebody is uncomfortable with the truth that you're sharing, please continue to speak. Even if it's me. (laughs) Whether people agree with you or not, you have the right to your voice. You have the right to your voice. So I want to thank you all for your time and attention tonight. Take care, everyone. Thank you all so much for joining me. And remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to go out and be what? Prophet and Lady Barbara? Be light. Be light. Be light. Take care, everybody, and be blessed. Tomorrow on Tuesday, we will be on the Black Table Talk page on Facebook. And we'll be there at 6.15 p.m. Take care, everybody, and God bless. Bless.